0: Thank you, Don, for the introduction. How's everyone doing this morning? <laughs> doing good. Good. Uh, I'm John. I get to be uh, an elder here, which some of you might be surprised by that, because I look, I look young, right? So I get to be an elder. But no, um, I love serving this church uh, as as an elder. I've been uh, my wife and I've been attending here for about six or about two years. Been uh, an elder for the past six months. I love, love serving this church uh, alongside other uh, pastors and elders, and I'm excited to share this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Galatians chapter 3, or if you have your phones that have that Bible app on, you have permission to turn your phones on and look at them now. Um, so if if you're still, you know, waking up, we lost an hour, uh, I'm going to update us uh, on the sermon series, Finding Freedom, that we've been going through. It's been a, an awesome sermon series. It's been a really Really good to go through this. Uh, I'm going to update you on that in just a second. But before we do that, uh, we had our community time. I'd like to give us another opportunity to get to know one another uh, just a little bit more, and hopefully this exercise doesn't cause too much division uh, within our within our church. Uh, are we, we ready for we ready for that? No division, right? We're just going to get to know one another. I'm, I'm joking. We're not going to. There's not going to be uh, any fights here. But have you guys heard of uh, have you guys heard of birth order studies? Like your, what order you're born in it influences your, your personality and behavior. Does that, anybody heard of this? Anybody? Okay. If you haven't, uh, we're going to see if it's real or not. I've heard mixed reviews, so we'll find out. So I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting, just the simple fact of like chance, uh, wh- what order you're, you're born in can influence your behavior, your personality, right? So uh, we're, we'll do this exercise. We'll see, you know, who's the oldest. in in your family, middle child, youngest, and maybe if we have any like uh, only children here as well, we'll find out about you guys as well. So, all right. So I'll do show of hands. I'll read the characteristics that describe you. And then maybe you give me like thumbs up, thumbs down. All right. Everybody, everyone get it? Okay. So oldest children, who are our oldest in the crowd? Look around, look around. All right. These are the, yeah, the oldest. Okay. So this is the, the studies that have been put into this Reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, controlling, <laughs> achievers. Thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah, thumbs up. Maybe, maybe someone who knows you well can answer better about you, right? All right. Middle children, middle children. All right, Pastor Ryan, okay. All right, okay, cool. These are the people pleasers, somewhat rebellious. Thrives on friendships, has a large social circle, and peacemakers, which I feel like kind of like rebellious peacemakers. I don't know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I see, some, I see some of both, mixed, mixed signals. All right, youngest children. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's me as well. Yeah, I just saw. Yeah, all right. Fun loving. Yes. Yeah. Uncomplicated. Yeah. Manipulative, outgoing, attention-seeking, self-centered, all right, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs down, all right, last one, any only, only children in the bunch, only children, yeah, okay, Um, it's just, it's just that emoji that goes like this, we don't know, no, I'm joking. Uh, mature for their age, perfectionists, conscientious, diligent, leaders. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, that was, okay, those are good qualities. Okay, so what does this have to do with finding freedom, right? Okay, so here's the good news. Over the past month, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and we're diving into this, this fundamental truth of the gospel that we are not saved by our behaviors. So, all those behaviors. Those personality disorders, right? No. So the, the goods or the bads. We're not, we don't define ourselves by those behaviors. We've been diving into this truth that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Not any, any good behavior or bad behavior. There's nothing we can do in our own strength that will impress God or earn his good favor. There's one person... Jesus, God incarnate, who lived a perfect life. His death on the cross, his resurrection is what gives us hope and allows us to enter into a relationship with God. That's where our freedom begins, with Jesus. We tie our hope to Jesus, not our good behavior, our reputation, our finances, social status, anything else. Jesus. We learn that the churches in Galatia, they were influenced to put an unnecessary amount of focus on behavior, keeping the law by a group of Judaizers. Summarize quickly. They they tied their their, um, keeping the law to salvation. So they said, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but that means that you have to keep the entirety of the law. So it's time to change all your behaviors. Come to Jesus, everything changes. Traditions, diet. Men, let's get the scissors out. It's time to do some trimming. And, you know, I'm I'm sure that's the question you woke up coming to church with, right? I accepted Jesus. Now it's time to become Jewish. No, right? Probably none of you thought about that this morning. You thought about, man, am I waking up on time? I lost an hour. However, Christianity in, in our culture, and probably in many cultures, it's tied closely to behavior modification and controlling our sin. You, you've probably heard one of these things about Christians, or maybe you've read them in a Facebook debate, or somebody has told you this. Christians don't curse. Christians, you won't believe what this company did. It's time to boycott, right? Oh, you can't be a Christian and watch that. How can you be a Christian and vote for, right? Now, hey, don't get me wrong. I'm not not saying that we should just endorse a lifestyle of doing whatever we want, whenever we want. And Paul is not saying that either in Galatians. Paul, he writes frequently, about how sin leads to death, and that, hey, we're dead to sin. We should be alive in Christ. We shouldn't be controlled by those things. So here's the question. If we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, where does our behavior come into play? If if, I'm, if I sin, am I saved? What if I'm struggling with something, was I ever saved? If sin leads to death, how, does, how, can I, how can I really change? How can I get away from that? How does being a Christian lead to life? And so that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning as we look at Galatians 3 and 4. We'll look at some of those questions. And, and my hope is that in Jesus, we'll find freedom in who we were born to be. We'll find freedom as we put our faith in Christ and how our behaviors follow our identity and who Jesus is calling us to be. All right, join, join me in prayer before we uh, open God's word. <clears throat> Lord, I, I love, I love uh, the atmosphere that's already been created here where we're focusing on, on you and nothing else matters but you. God, I, I pray that... Um, you would, you would draw close to all of our hearts, Lord, as we look at your word, as we dive into these truths about who we are in you, that you would begin to reveal yourself in just a special way, in a powerful way, and that you'd show us who we are and who you are to us, Lord, and how we're set free in the relationship we have with you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 All right, so Galatians 3, we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 16. And uh, you guys all came here on Daylight Savings Time, spring break, so I know you love Jesus. And uh, it's going to get deep quick, all right? So just track with me. Uh, we're in church. We are uh, here to read the Bible and, and to know Jesus. So it's going to get deep. Uh, the first time I read this, I had to read this a second and third time. So uh, we'll, we'll break it down. We're going to read a few verses And then we'll we'll stop and and talk about it for a little bit. All right. So verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. So this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. As to make a promise void. Four, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, stop there. Oh boy, right? What's going on here? 430 years annulled, covenants, intermediaries, held captive under the law, a guardian. What's Paul talking about here, right? Where does finding freedom come into play? All right, so in order to understand this, we're going to rewind quick brief Bible history lesson. I think this will really help us kind of set the stage for the, the rest of what we'll read. And uh, it's really, really important, really good. You'll, you'll track with me. Um, it won't take too long. So verse 16 talks about, uh, if you can put verse 16 up on the, on the screen just real quickly. <clears throat> it talks about this promise being made to Abraham. Promise being made to Abraham. This should bring us all the way back. It's like a, a hyperlink. Brings us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God makes this promise to Abraham. And and, uh, we can put that up. uh, Genesis 12, yeah, two through three. Look at that. Thanks. It says, It says, God speaking to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so you get what's going on here. You know, Father Abraham, many sons, many sons, Father, right? God makes this promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. He's going to bless the whole world through this family, through Abraham and his offspring. The whole world, all nations will be blessed, right? We get that. Then verse 17 of Galatians three says, the law comes 430 years after the promise is made to Abraham. So that's, you know, fast forward 430 years. God's already made this promise. Then he gives the law to Moses after the exodus, right? We're tracking with the Bible story here. God makes the promise to Abraham Israel is in captivity and slavery in Egypt. They're, they're set out of that into freedom. So God gives them this law to give them some guidelines, to give them parameters. This is how I want you to be a country, how I want you to behave to glorify me best. But Paul says this hey, don't get it twisted. The law is not the promise. The promise was to Abraham. I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. The law is just a placeholder until the promise comes. All right? And and so Jesus is the promise, right? Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the promise fulfilled that blesses the whole world by what he did on the cross. Jesus comes over a thousand years after the law. And Paul says, hey, there's nothing bad about the law. It's a good law. You you, you could look through, you know, read the first five books of the Bible, and anything that God says to do, it's like, good advice. You should, you know, do those things. But Paul's like, hey, the promise is not the law. It was a placeholder until Jesus comes. The law doesn't bring freedom. Jesus brings freedom. And the Old Testament reinforces this idea of this law not being able to bring freedom over and over and over again. The law is given in Exodus. And we see immediately when Moses comes down from the mountain, people can't keep the law. Day one, they break it. And the whole story of the Old Testament is just people trying to obey the law, Israel trying to, reform coming, and then another generation passes and everyone's disobedient. It's like obedience, disobedience, back and forth, back and forth. And God, he even brings in other countries, Assyria and Babylon, to discipline Israel and to take them away into exile because they can't keep the law, because they dishonor God. God punishes them. And the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, uh, we'll have this up on the screen, he's living under the law. He recognizes this. And God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says this. This is is really cool. He says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your heart of flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall, shall dwell in the land I give to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. This is before Christ. Ezekiel, before Christ, gets the promise that God's going to do something himself. He is going to come down himself, put his spirit within his people so that we can be obedient. God's promise comes with a new heart, a new spirit that will completely change us from the inside out. And this is what Paul is writing about. The law is not the promise, the placeholder or guardian until the real promise came. And pause just for a second. This is kind of a secondary point, but I think it's, it's still worth saying. You know, if I'm God, this is not the way I would do things. Right? Okay, like think about it. I make a promise. Back up. Adam and Eve sin, Right? right? right. Genesis 3, God says, hey, to, he says to Eve, your offspring's going to come. He's going to step on the snake's head. Right then, that's what I'm sending Jesus, you know? Right off the bat. Jesus comes right there, steps on the snake. Done. But that's not what happens. Ten generations after Adam and Eve, he makes a promise to Abraham. 430 years after that, he gives the law. Over a thousand years after that, Jesus comes. And that's just not how I would do things, right? And it's a good thing I'm not God, right? Um, I, don't, I don't understand why God waits like that to fulfill promises. I don't think the answer to that is anything that easy that I could cover over the next 22 minutes. But I think God revealing himself to humanity in Jesus shows us a couple Really good things about God's character. He's patient and he's faithful. This is good news for us. Because if God is patient and faithful enough to reveal himself to humanity over thousands of years, he's patient and faithful enough to reveal himself to you throughout the 75 or 100 years of your life. God's faithful. God's faithful and committed to his promise no matter how long it takes. You can find freedom in God's faithfulness. God's committed to fulfilling his plan through you and your life and through the world. He's not overwhelmed by your sin, by the rises and falls of your life, because he's already dealt with it on on the cross in Jesus Christ. So you can rest in the fact that God will be patient with you and will finish the work he started in your life. And God's power to raise Jesus from the dead, it's powerful enough to restore any part of your life and your story. God is faithful and he's patient. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, We're gonna read another, I don't know, eight or nine verses. I don't think it's gonna be quite as deep this time. So we can uh, breathe a a sigh of relief there. All right, Paul says in verse 25, faith has come. We're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male, female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise I mean that the heir, as long as he's a a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved by elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons, daughters. All right, we'll stop there. Paul starts, he starts breaking down what this actually means for the Galatian church and what this means for us here and now. He says the promise has come. Jesus has come. And if you put your faith in Jesus, there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave-free Male, female, instead, we're part of the family of God as children of God. That's how we identify ourselves, sons and daughters of God. And if you're listening to this now, like, right, you've heard that phrase. But if you're, you're listening to it then, if you're part of the Galatian church, you might like raise your hand, like, uh, Paul, question? Question for you, real quick. Uh, you say we're no longer Jews. Greeks, Gentiles, whatever, slaves, free, male, female, and you look around, and that's exactly what you see, right? You say, Paul, I am. (laughs) I am a Greek who's a slave, who's a man. What, What do you mean here? This would be, you know, this would be like Pastor Ryan saying, you know, on Sunday, hey, you guys aren't Americans anymore who live in Texas, who work as an engineer, or as a mom, or a dad, teacher whatever and he's like wait wait what that's who i am but that's that's who i am and paul's saying no 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 that might be what you do that might be how other people define you but that's not who you are the world might define itself by those qualities but when you're in christ you're adopted as a son as a daughter it's a child of God. And that is what your identity is. That identity is what needs to, needs to define your entire life. And, and that's, you know, if you're taking notes, I'm not, I'm not good with points. I'm sorry. Ryan is a master at making sure everything, you know, has the same letter. But this is my point. <laughs> freedom. Sorry, sorry for the joke. Got off track. But, but real freedom, true freedom, It's found as a member of the family of God. Putting your hope, putting your identity in anything other than who you are as a child of God, Paul says, will bind you as a slave. This truth is powerful. And and it, it was relevant back then, it's relevant now. Think about it. We make the spiritual practical. How tempting, how tempting is it To tie your identity, to place your worth in your job or in your relationships or your possessions, your reputation, your bank account, the car you drive, the vacations you take, the things you can get out of life. It's so tempting to do that. Those aren't bad things in and of themselves, right? But if that's where you put your identity, if that's the focus of your life, then you're you're a slave to that thing. A slave to it. Even something good, like the law, will bind you and you'll miss out on the freedom in being a child of God. And so a question I have for all of us this morning. Do we depend on something other than our identity in Christ to define us and to influence our behaviors and our decisions? Think about this. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for your daily decisions, your daily actions? When we put our faith in Christ, we're saying that knowing Jesus and becoming like Him is the goal. That's the prize. That's the focus. This is something we need to examine daily. What you think about your life, the identity of your life, the purpose of your life, it's powerful. Being grounded as a child of God is what ultimately brings change. Not a guilt trip, right? Not behavior modification through strict adherence to a set of do's and don'ts. Everything you do, everything you do flows out of what you believe about yourself and about God. This is foundational. You know, as I mentioned, people on the outside of Christianity think we're a community, all about behavior change, being good, religious people. And Jesus, I think, would say, that is not what I died for. It's a misunderstanding of everything on the deepest level. Jesus did not die to to control our behavior. He died to set us free from death. And the sin that leads to death. Sin does not have to control our lives because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a fundamental change in who we are, a change in our identity. What do you believe about yourself, about God? What you believe about yourself is powerful. <clears throat> I heard a story um, of how powerful this, this truth of, of identity really is. Uh, Someone by the name of Crystal Jones. I've never met her, um, but I read about her in a book about psychology of behavior change. It's a really incredible story. Uh, it won't take too long, and uh, I think we'll all find it pretty interesting, relevant to to our topic today. So, Crystal Jones. She starts teaching for. Uh, she starts volunteering for Teach for America. And if you're not familiar, it's a volunteer opportunity um, for young people before, during, or after a college to serve lower-income families and communities. And so she was assigned to an elementary school, a first-grade classroom in Atlanta, Georgia. And she didn't have her teaching license yet. She's still going through school, uh, but she's she's spending a year just volunteering, getting experience in and teach for America. And there was no kindergarten in this school, so that for many of her students, this is This is a first classroom experience. And so the way that she writes and she describes her her first grade students, she said two or three, two or three could recognize sight words like go, she, he, right? Some didn't even know how to hold a pencil. Some didn't know the alphabet or their numbers. She, She says these kids were all over the map, but no one was where they needed to be as first graders. So what would you do? This is your, you know, this is your classroom. Here's what she did. She got into her, into their world. She watched them on the playground, and she thought about these first graders, who they wanted to be, who they looked up to. She saw them playing on the playground, and, and a light bulb came on. She saw thought of one group of students, third graders. She said, the, "This group of first graders, they, they want to be third graders." And, and if you have kids or if you've observed kids, you know, it's true. My two-year-old, I have, I have four daughters, pray for me. I have, uh, my two-year-old, she mimics and acts my fi- like my five-year-old. She wants to be just like her. My five-year-old, she, she looks up to my eight-year-old. And it's so funny, you know, I, it, I love my kids. They love playing with me. But when someone comes along who's just a little bit older, a little bit cooler um, than me, they abandon me, right? Because like adults... We're like aliens to kids, right? They can't relate to us. Like they they can relate to someone just a little bit older. So here's what Crystal did. From day one, she made this declaration to her classroom. She said, my name is Crystal Jones. And by June, I'm going to turn you into third graders. I'm going to turn you into third graders. She said, you know, third graders, they can run faster than you. They can, they can read a little bit better than you. They can do math a little bit better than you. And she said, her class, at first they objected, no, they well, yeah, I guess, I guess they can. And she goes, but not for long. Not for long. Because I am going to turn you into a third grader. And she shaped her whole curriculum around this idea of morphing her kids, taking them from first graders to third graders. She even changed the way she would address uh, her, her class, and the way that they would address one another. She called everyone scholar, and she didn't refer to anyone by their first name. She said, scholar lay, right? Scholar Kozak. And she had her kids refer to, to each other that way too. And when someone would, from the outside would come in, she would say, these are my budding group of scholars. And then they, they, they would also say this, this motto every day. A scholar is someone who, who lives to learn and is good at it. And what happened? She said by November, she knew she had them, Because here's here's what the kids would do. They would would be sick at school or they'd have to leave for for an appointment and they would not want to leave the class. They'd say, no, no, no. What if I don't become a third grader? (laughs) By March, six months later, they did a reading comprehension exam. And every single student past first grade uh, reading level. Some were at a second grade, and yes, some were even at a third grade level. And for, for you know, some of these kids, that was a pretty good accomplishment. For some of them, they couldn't even, they even know the alphabet. It's incredible. Six months, transformation. So what happened? Crystal made a decision about them. She created an environment that mirrored that decision. You are going to become a first grade, or third grader. Doesn't matter what you know now, doesn't matter how you behave, doesn't matter what your parents do, you're going to become a third grader. I've decided this about you. Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this. Paul believes that true freedom and change happens to us when our identity is changed by God. If you put your faith in Jesus, God makes a decision about you. You are his child, and he is committed to making you look like Jesus. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you, you know, what you've done, what's been done to you. It doesn't matter your behavior right now, what you came into this room. If you put your faith in Jesus... God's made a decision about you. You're His child. He's committed to producing change in you. Our behavior follows our identity. Let's, let's read the final four verses, um, this passage. Uh, we'll close here in just, just a little bit. Uh, band, you guys can make your way up. I'm supposed to tell you that. Um, all right. <clears throat> Galatians four. Uh, 6 through 9. Paul writes, Because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So now you're no longer slaves, but sons. If a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather, known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? This is is powerful stuff. How does God produce change in us? Paul says he does so by sending his spirit into our hearts. And hopefully this makes you think of Ezekiel 36. The promise made, whatever, thousands of years ago, where God said, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone. I'll put my spirit within you. Paul says the spirit comes through faith in Jesus. And it helps us, it makes us change. It helps us know God as Abba, as Father. That word Abba, it's, it's the title that Jesus used for God. When he's praying in the garden the night before he's crucified, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove the cup from me, me yet not what I will, but you, what you will. Jesus knew God this way, as Father, who he could come to in his deepest hour of hurt, and need and that he would find help and freedom to live the purpose he was born for jesus the, the night before he was crucified this is how he he reached out to god god as our father um i've experienced as i mentioned this miracle of fatherhood four times now and it's it's really a miracle um I'm sure parents in the room, you'll be able to relate to this. But for the, the first time, I think I have some pictures too, just to tug at some of your heartstrings if you're saps like me. Um, that's, let's see, that's Adeline on the left, Anna on the right. Adeline is eight now. Anna's five and a half, and I'm going to cry, right? Because I have four daughters. No, I'm not going to cry. Um, but the first time, first time I've held all four of my daughters, something happens. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do anything. I love them. Just like that, right? Parents, you can relate. This isn't anything incredibly special about me. First time. And it's not because, you know, they're incredibly cute and tiny, although they are. Um, I love them because I'm their, I'm, I'm their dad. And they're my daughter. And so one of the very first things I've said to all my daughters, and I I tell them this because I want them to know how loved they are. The first things I say to them is I say, Adeline Rose, Anna Faith, I love you so much. I always will. And what's so crazy about this, they can't do anything for me, right? They can't do anything at all. They're completely helpless individuals, right? They have no value to give to me. I have to do everything for them. But I love them because I'm their dad. I'm responsible for them. And this is what is true for you, about God, for your life on an infinite level. Infinite, right? Infinitely more. God's made a decision about you, about your life you are his child. He is your father who is deeply committed to you. It doesn't matter the value that you bring to him in this relationship. (laughs) In comparison to God, right, we are down here. And so, so how does this change you? God says he, he puts his spirit in you that close, daily communion, again, going back to the relationship between a father and a child a parent and a child, I live with them every day my wife and I we, you know, we, we live with them every day we change their diapers, we feed them and you know what is, is interesting, I don't notice a change from one day to the next day, right but suddenly you know, I wake up and I have an 8 year old like, holy cow, right, how'd this happen Day by day, they start to learn new behaviors. They start to mimic us, which is terrifying. Same is true with how God changes us. He gives us, he says he gives us his spirit. The deepest parts about who God is, his spirit comes to dwell in the closest part of who we are, our hearts. And that changes things. His presence leads us and guides us as we press into God, as we get into the word, into worship, into a community of faith. God changes us. You might not be able to see it right away, but it happens. God's committed to this, to making you like Jesus. And so God will begin to highlight things, areas of your life, your thoughts, your motives, your intentions, and he'll begin to change them through his power, not your own. God highlights changes that need to take place. And then he helps you see how you can do it. And so, you know, I'm going to close here Um, in one minute. I'm going to have maybe some of our pastors, life group leaders, you guys maybe go to the back of the room. If you need prayer, um, we want to open this time up. We're going to respond in worship. I don't know where this message finds you. I imagine it's in a few places. Maybe the idea of being a child of God, maybe it's completely foreign to you. You've never placed your faith in Jesus. The circumstances of your life led you to this moment. You know you need a new heart. Examine your heart, examine your mind. You know you know you need a new heart, a new spirit. I want to encourage you, you don't have to clean yourself up. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter where you came from, where you came from, what you've done. Jesus died for you. You can have freedom through faith in him or maybe you've already put your faith in Christ but you've been defining your life in everything but him you've evaluated you know your focus your goals your behavior and you're enslaved by the pursuits of the world I want to encourage you today to confess those things come back to your first love in Jesus Christ to finding your identity in him and what he did for you on the cross would you press into the Lord's presence today he will lead and guide you into what you need to do in order to change and become like Christ or maybe maybe you've already experienced this new freedom and identity in Jesus. You have a wonderful testimony. You know how good it is to be a child of God. Who do you need to share this freedom with? We're not meant to keep the freedom of Christ in here. We're meant to share it with the world to be lights of the world.